Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. This week, it's been all about Justin Trudeau. You'll hear two former liberal members of parliament, Michelle Simpson and Dan McTague, on their thoughts on the prime minister, who is, of course, also their former colleague. We'll get the primary election issues information from Ipsos Vice President Gregory Jack and from the Canadian Medical Association, the president, Dr. Sandy Buckman, on vaping and other health care issues they say, the CMA says, is significantly important to this election campaign. Michael Taub is a former speechwriter for Stephen Harper and uh, also a syndicated columnist. He joined us on the election campaign. We also spoke with Ujjal Dessange, the former premier of British Columbia, the first Indo-Canadian premier, about Justin Trudeau's week. I think you'll enjoy the podcast. A man who has a great familiarity with the Liberal Party of Canada. He was a federal minister of health. Also the premier of British Columbia joins us on the Roy Green Show, Ujjal Dessange. Uh, Premier, thank you very much for taking the time. And I, what was your initial personal reaction to the revelations about Mr. Trudeau? I first heard it on the radio, and I hadn't seen the photograph. Um, and uh, the um, the breadth and depth of um, the photograph, it, it obviously didn't sink in until I actually saw it on the net. Um and I felt um, less angry, but more shocked, uh, and because I thought in year 2000, a 30-year-old man who uh, was born and raised um, under affluent circumstances, educated in very good schools uh, in the country, um, how could he not know uh, how offensive uh, this is, um, not just to uh, not not just because you repeat it, but because of the history. Um, it, uh, we have a history of blackface in this country going back to the mid nineteenth century, um, and sometimes we think we are far superior to the U.S. But you know we were doing the same kind of things with blackface that they were doing. Um, around that time. So that shocked me, the fact that he wouldn't know. I believe him when he says he didn't know, but I, I, that was the biggest shock I got. Um, on a professional level, as the Prime Minister of Canada, and he has some other issues that are trailing him now, and very recently with the Ethics Commissioner in Ottawa over SNC-Lavalin, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and uh, Admiral Mark Norman, um, on a professional level as prime minister, how does that affect you? You were the minister of health. You were a significantly senior minister in the cabinet of uh, Mr. Kretchan. I believe Mr. Martin as well, right? No, no Paul Martin. Paul Martin, okay. Yeah. So you were a significantly senior minister in the, in the cabinet of Paul Martin. Uh, you knew him far better than I did. I, I got to know him a little bit, and I always thought of him as an extremely honorable man a very decent man, a very kind yes. man. Yes. Uh, when you when you when you look at the two scenarios, on again on the political professional level, what do you come away with? 
one is one is shocked. I mean, one is shocked that that he wouldn't reveal um, the information to the uh, party at the time he submitted his application to be nominated as a candidate. Um, that he knew this was in, in his background um, when uh, the um, Liberal Party was trying to take down candidates of uh, the other political parties. So, I mean, there is a huge amount of hypocrisy involved. Um, and and it's troubling. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I, when Aiken asked that question, I didn't expect any different reply. Well, Mr. Trudeau, um, and I don't think it's my place to tell him to resign or not resign. I think that uh, Jagmeet Singh, for for once, I agree with him that I think ultimately people will decide, and and this uh, episode um, may have damaged him more uh, than any other in the last several years um, because. You know, people have had doubts about Mr. Trudeau and the depth of his intellect um, uh, and whether or not, you know, he is who he says he is. All of those uh, have come to the fore. They've been brought into focus. And I think that uh, he's going to have to work very hard, as he says, to re-earn the trust of Canadians. Premier, he would not confirm when he was asked that if another Liberal candidate were found to have appeared in blackface or brownface, that that candidate would be removed by the Liberal Party, removed by Mr. Trudeau. He he would not he would not say that. He said it depended each situation depended on its on its own reality. And I, in in a way, I understand the answer. It's defensive, but it's to me, it's just so disingenuous. It's disturbing. Well, it doesn't, it- doesn't obviously the standards aren't the same. I mean, the difficulty uh, we have in this situation is that he's the prime minister of the country, he's the leader of the party, right. and it is pretty difficult, um, almost impossible for a political party to switch leaders midstream. Um, and and there's your answer. And uh, and I think that um, that you know I I think he is now hoping. Uh, that people will uh, pass a favorable judgment on him. I mean, he's tried very hard to uh, to apologize. Um, I accept his apology for whatever that is worth, but, you know, I'm just one voter. I'm a member of the party, um, and I just believe that uh, ultimately, um, you know, the Liberal Party, unfortunately, is being hoisted on its own petard uh, because uh, because um, we were in the last in the first week of the campaign, uh, and and prior to that for several weeks we were sanctimonious in the way we attacked Mr. Shear or or Mr. Jagmeet Singh's candidates, and and Mr. Mr. Trudeau allowed that to happen with full knowledge of the fact that he had um, huge skeletons in his own closet. I have a, I don't, just a hunch, just a gut feel that that attitude may have led, at least partially, to the release of the information of the photograph and the video. Somebody said enough. Yeah, you know, it may have. I mean, obviously, this photograph um, has been there since 2000, and yeah. others have been there from earlier. Yeah. Um, and people did not did not feel the need to reveal them 
or expose them. And and sometimes what happens is you have, you know, one difficulty after another, one scandal after another, and and people um, say that you know people who believed in you, who believed you were their ally, um, uh, become disappointed and disenchanted and want to bring you down. That happens in politics, obviously. Premier, one more question for you, and it was raised by uh, Michael Taub, who was just speaking with me, the uh, columnist for um, Troy Media and former speechwriter for the Prime, for Prime Minister Harper and a political commentator. And the, the point he raised was, uh, and I, I don't want to bring this up because if Mr. Trudeau is reelected, he will again have to go out on the international scene and represent this country. And the question raised or the comment made was, how will he possibly be able to uh, deal with leaders of Asian countries, of other countries where the majority of the uh, population are, are people of color, where the, 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 the leader is? Uh, how will Mr. Trudeau be able to deal uh, effectively and directly with, uh, with such leaders, and how will they believe him? I think there's going to be some difficulty. I mean, there's going to be, uh, I think Canada has been, he's been tainted. Canada has been tainted internationally, not just um, in terms of um, the countries um, where people of visible minorities are in majorities, but I believe even other countries in in Western Europe, for instance, who um, countries like Germany and and UK and France, um, uh, where People are very conscious about these issues, and and you know we've had obviously the Second World War isn't that far away from people's memories or at least uh, knowledge, um, and and the reasons it was fought for. Um, so I think it's going to be difficult, um, but you know I mean he he has shown uh, to be honest with you he has shown a tremendous commitment to diversity and inclusion in terms of the steps he has taken publicly. And I've disagreed with him sometimes when he, when he says we're now a post-national state. You and I have talked about that. Yes, we have. Um, and so, uh, but, but he has done a, a very good job, I might say, on those issues. Um, sometimes too good for my liking in the sense when he starts talking about being a post-national state with no mainstream values. Um, but but I think that that may stand him in good stead. But um, but the difficulty I think he's going to have is, as someone was quoting Aristotle in one of the newspapers, that you know, uh, you you are who you are, um, and and you do what you are, and and that I think is um, I'm just paraphrasing those words, and that's going to be his problem because there have been several things whether it's the SNC-Levelon or the India trip or the Agha Khan, um, you know, all of these issues um, have piled up, as someone said in one of the columns, that, uh, that some, some voter in Quebec said, this is the cherry on the top, and that is going to be a problem for the Liberal Party. Premier, thank you so much for the time. I always appreciate speaking with you. Good talking to you. Thank you. Uh, Ujjal Dosanjh, the former Premier of British Columbia, also a former Minister of Health federally in the government of Prime Minister, Liberal Prime Minister Paul Martin. Let me talk to two former colleagues of uh, Justin Trudeau in Parliament, two former caucus members um, of Mr. Trudeau. As you know them both, they've been on this program uh, on, on many an occasion. 
as we've talked about many many issues with them, and it's not the first time we're talking to them about the current prime minister. Michelle Simpson is the uh, former liberal MP and was the seatmate to Justin Trudeau during a uh, question period and knows him very well. Michelle, good to have you back. I'm so happy to be back. And you made it very clear to us in a conversation last weekend when we had our Beauties and the Beast segment that you will not be voting for Justin Trudeau, and you also pointed out that you'll be voting for the Conservatives. Uh, that's very possible. I, I am not voting for him, and that was before all this stuff came out. Yeah. And so, you know what? I, I just, I watched his apology, and having sat with him, he was only sorry that he got caught. Not that he did what he did, and that was quite clear to me in his body language and everything else. So there you go. Dan McTague, former Liberal Member of Parliament, um, how as you know, very much involved with uh, the oil industry and predicting what uh, where our gas prices are going. I think we ultimately know where they're going. Yeah. Dan, right, remind <laughs> us again, where, we, where can we find you online? Uh, so it's very simple. Uh, if, unless you want to just email me, uh, uh, Dan uh, Gmail. Uh, I don't really have the site. All we am doing is working off Twitter, and it seems to be the best means in which to get my message out. And that's just uh, at Gas Price Wizard. One word: Gas Price Wizard. And uh, it uh, makes my life a lot easier just to be able to put the information okay. out there when whenever there's a big increase or a decrease. All right. Yeah. So let's get at uh, your reaction to what we found out about Mr. Trudeau. The fact that he kept it quiet intentionally, uh, even though at one point he said he'd forgotten. I guess he forgot about some, but not the others. That's the takeaway. What's your takeaway from what, what's happened over the last several days? Well, there had been rumors that there's plenty more out there on Mr. Trudeau uh, before this happened, of course, and uh, that this wasn't uh, just a one-off. I think there was a actually an admission uh, by Don Martin, uh, who had uh, recalled an interview he had done with uh, Justin before he was leader, and obviously probably even before he was an MP, in which uh, he asked point blank, "Are you going to do you want to be prime minister?" He said, "No." He said, "I, you know, there's just too much there." So I, I sense that there is a lot more to come. I think the party knows this. Go ahead, uh, Michelle. Now, Michelle, what's your take on that? Uh, I think that uh, Dan's right that there's a lot there because of a statement he made. Oh, I was raised in privilege. And that was his excuse for, you know, what happened. And I think there was a lot of that in his life, that he really thought he was privileged and he could do whatever he wanted to do. What do you say to people who say to him, and it's been said and you've heard it, this was a long time ago, Mr. Prime Minister. You don't need to apologize for what you did, or we accept your apology. Dan, what, what do you, why don't you take that one on? Well, I think you should have made it clear from the outset, not once, not twice, three times, as you quite rightly pointed out, maybe more times than that. But, you know, if you're, let's understand where the origins of this perhaps came from, and that's the Liberals began a process of smearing conservatives as neo-Nazis, uh, as uh, homophobes, as uh, racists, as all sorts of vile things that I would never have stooped so low to do when I was a member of part of me. Shell would certainly have done that either. So they had it coming. You know, as my grandfather used to say in his uh, old uh, 
Scottish grog, you mess with the bull, you get the horn. And, and that's exactly what's happened here is that we're finally seeing if you're going to play that game of, you know, of, of going low and, and you know, <laughs> bringing a, uh, disgracing our politics with that kind of attack on anybody and everybody based on something they did 15 years ago, fine. But by the way, I saw no trepidation with Ralph Goodale, you know, bringing up stuff that uh, uh, Andrew Shear had said in 2005. If we're going to get back 14 years, what's 14 years? What's 18 years? I think it's highly uh, it's a suspect when people say, oh, it was a long time ago. He was 29 years of age. I was elected at that age virtually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, knew the, I, I knew different, and I knew better, and he ought to have as well. And now, he was no, a teacher. Yes. So. Let me go back to something that you said, Dan, and that is that you think or you've heard or you suspect there's more waiting to be revealed. released, revealed about Mr. Trudeau? Yeah, I mean, I have no privy, no knowledge of what it is, but it's a lot more, and it seems to be rife, and it will be released, ironically, not through, uh, I guess, the same channels that we saw traditionally. Uh, you know, the way this came out was very interesting. You had to go to Time magazine to demonstrate to the world that there's a problem with this leader, because apparently some media in this country don't think there is a problem and would not have taken the time to consider that. That's not a that's not a broad brush against media in Canada, but I think it's extremely important whoever put this out took the time to consider that if you give it to canadian media it'd be lost in a few days whereas on the international front what we've always known to be you know and i've mentioned it here many times before a fellow who is certainly has issues uh who uh, is given to socks selfies and sobbing i said it right here in your show back about a year and a half ago with michelle uh it's not anything nothing has changed what is of grave concern is that there is uh, every indication that there is more to come, and uh, this is just only the first shoe to drop. And of course, if it doesn't cause Canadians to wake up out of their, you know, their their trans-like uh, support of the name Trudeau, perhaps the next ones uh, will make it pretty clear to them. Well, look, I, I have the damage to. Is done. I want to. I have to, and I want to say that Mercedes Stevenson at Global News did a tremendous job. Uh, she released the information. Global News released the information yep. about the third video, and uh, yep. I have such trim- I have huge admiration and respect for her. I'm not saying it because we are chorus and Global uh, Global no. News are, are are essentially one company now. I I just I've worked with Mercedes on a, on a number of occasions, and I just admire the heck out of her. She is, yep, she is what a journalist is all about. So I just, yep. I just want to make yep. that point. Now, let me take a break, and then I want to come back and ask you something else and, and, and think about this, because there will be people who will say, okay, so Dan McTague and Michelle Simpson, former liberal members of parliament, they don't like Trudeau. It's sour grapes on their part. Uh, I want you to address that, and then please let's go take it the next step, and I want to ask you what you might have heard. I don't expect you to name names. But what you might have heard from inside the Liberal Party about Mr. Trudeau and about this past week and the revelations about him. We'll come back with Dan McTague, Michelle Simpson, right after this. Nita sent an email and uh, she said, wasn't Robert Giz of uh, Newfoundland, the former premier of Newfoundland, wasn't he a um, visible minority community member? And he was. He was uh, he was Asian Canadian, and uh, so was Joe Giz, also a former premier of Newfoundland, uh, New, uh, Prince Edward Island, and uh, and then Ujjal uh, Dussange, who we'll be talking to later from uh, British Columbia, as I pointed out. So we'll correct that. Dan McTague back with us, Michelle Simpson back with us, both former Liberal members of Parliament, both served with Justin Trudeau. Uh, Dan, you were in that caucus when he was the leader. 
Uh, no, I wasn't. He, um, we had uh, been defeated in 2011. Okay. Um, everyone had moved to uh, the NDP. And well, I thought, I thought you'd been around until 15, so it was 11, right? No, no 11, so 93 to, uh, to 11. Okay. So, uh, but had been asked by the, uh, the folks around him to run again, including Katie Telford. So, <laughs> yeah, it, this, is, uh, this is really strange. And, of course, I have no, uh, no issue other than the fact that the issues they're presenting are ones that I can't support. So let's talk about this, because there will be people who will say, look, uh, we know that uh, Dan McTague and Michelle Simpson don't support Justin Trudeau, so how much of this is sour grapes? I know it's not sour grapes because I know you both, and we've talked <laughs> to each other many times on and off the air. But address that, please. And then would you also share with us, Michelle, let, why don't you start with this? Have you heard from other members of the Liberal Party? Uh, who are dubious about Mr. Trudeau going forward as the leader heading into October the 21st. They're nervous. And the the one I know is is running in my riding, who only won by 1,500 votes. And it's typically conservative. So this can flip the other way. I mean, she's the first federal liberal um, in years. And, you know, I think there's a nervousness Mm -hmm. about how, because no one can predict how this will affect. Well, if they're, if they're, if they're anticipating, as Dan has said, and as you're suggesting, I think as well, Michelle, there's more to come. I don't see how they couldn't possibly be anything but nervous if there is more to come. And there's no telling about whether or not he'll survive this. I believe that Dan's correct because he, you know, they've even pointed to his India trip. He loves to dress up, and you have to know that mm-hmm. because yeah. that's about being the star of the show. So, when, and what he says he didn't know, really didn't, should have known that he was doing something very wrong, but but he didn't. That is so difficult to accept and so difficult to believe. And then, Dan, we look back just a few weeks where the ethics commissioner convicted him of violation of parliamentary ethics. We look at the Admiral Mark Norman situation, and it's just a, it's just a series of difficulties and problems and behavioral issues that follow this prime minister. And this week was really, I think, certainly, the, certainly got the most attention of any of them. It, it's created a, a situation where this guy is is toxic and, and, and accident prone, and much of it to do with his own uh, it, his own actions directly. This isn't one of those things where, in our time, Roy, where you know we had the Gomery ad scam, uh, you know, inquiry, and and you know we knew that it wasn't any member of parliament, but it had to do with the structure and things that had happened within. Never could we actually come to this and say this is the prime minister's fault or, you know, several cabinet ministers were behind the scenes doing these things. All of these tragedies, all of these, uh, you know, these problems that the Liberal Party has inflicted upon itself has been inflicted by Justin Trudeau himself. Yeah. And that's what makes this thing so so bizarre that so many people seem to want to say, well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's, let's keep supporting him. I think what's going to happen here, and this is critical for the Liberals, because Michelle and I know this, Liberal support is plentiful. The problem is it's not committed. And, of course, this is going to probably damage a lot of Liberals who want to support him and are just saying, listen, I'm so upset with this guy, although I'm not, I'm not going to vote Conservative, I'm not going to vote for any other party, I'm just not going to vote. The Liberals are going to have a hell of a time getting their vote out. Yeah. I agree. So where does that leave us? It, uh, you know, for, for, but for many of us here, it's not a, it's, 
certainly not a grudge, it's not an axe. Uh, my concern is policy and what he's done, what has happened to us here and befallen us here in Ontario with the energy policy, which has hurt a lot of people, inflicted significant uh, harm to uh, the bottom line for everybody with manufacturers in trouble across this province and across this country. You have the same cast of characters doing in Ontario, doing in Canada what they did in Ontario, and likely to lead to significant, uh, you know, negative implications for the for the economy and for most consumers. So I, I guess I'm one of those who says no, no axe to grind. I just like to get these guys, these guys to wake up, understand that Canadian Canada is a, an energy intensive nation. We're doing great things. We should, you know, we should uh, tap ourselves on the back for these things, but mm-hmm. we shouldn't uh, destroy the very industries and the very things that make. In, our in the 45 seconds we have left. What do the opposition parties need to do, Michelle? Uh, Jagmeet Singh gave just an, such an amazingly, uh, and we'll play some of it a little later, but such an amazingly on-the-mark on the response to Trudeau. Well, in some, I really appreciate that he did that, but he's not going to form the next government. So it's easy to. Um, I think um, Scheer is playing this, like a Stradivarius violin, I really. Do. But is he? Does he have the Stradivarius? Is he also the violinist, or is he, uh, yeah. does he just have the no, violin? He's, he's doing a great job. Okay, I have to stop it there, okay. because we have to go. But thank you both very much for starting oh, off the show today. Have a great day, thank Charlie. you, Bye, Michelle. All the best, Dan McTake, Michelle Simpson. So, uh, quoting uh, an Ipsos poll of uh, early in the week. Just one line in the poll, Trudeau leads on protecting the interests of cultural, religious, and other minorities and see him as the best person to do this. I wonder if today that sentiment still exists. Um, And how do Canadians assess party leadership? And uh, what are the issues that matter most to Canadians going into this federal election or as we're proceeding through the election well, immigration, climate change, healthcare, and the economy are certainly significant players. And uh, Ipsos polled on that and reported to Global News on their findings. Gregory Jack is the Vice President of Public Affairs Canada for Ipsos Public Affairs. He joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Gregory, thank you very much for the time, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for holding uh, as long as you did. When when you when we look at the leadership issue and uh, and I know you didn't specifically poll on that because this information has come out only in the last couple of days. But let me ask you generically: How much do you think what's happened in the last seventy two hours, forty eight to seventy two hours, might affect people's view and and expectations on how they might vote? Uh, well, good afternoon, Roy, and thank you very much for having me. Uh, certainly, the the last couple of days have have injected a, a new. Uh, variable into this campaign. Uh, I think Canadians are paying attention for sure. And, you know, the point that I would underline is that uh, we don't know yet what the effect on the vote is. And, and we're going to find out as we go back into the field next week. And your listeners will, will have those results as well. But the strategy of the Liberal Party going into this campaign was really based on the leader. It was always based on, on Mr. Trudeau and, and his uh, leadership. And that strategy at this point, I think, is being rethought. Uh, you can see that the Liberals took the day off on, on Thursday to recalibrate. Uh, they're not doing anything today. You, you had your previous guest mentioning that other parties are active. But I think what's, what we're going to see is a, a recalibration of the Liberal strategy because it's going to be very difficult for them 
to follow the strategy they were previously, which was highlighting the leader and highlighting uh, what he has done and who he is and attacking other parties for intolerance uh, and things that Canadians don't really agree with. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the issues now that Canadians are most focused on, with four weeks to go to the vote, uh, we're looking at uh, at immigration, climate change, health care, the economy, not necessarily in that order. Would you address what uh, you found particularly of interest and of significance as far as the issues are, that are the Canadians are paying most close attention to is concerned? Well, putting aside the, the controversy this week around Mr. Trudeau, the, right. this, this election has been fought around affordability and the cost of living. And both parties are taking steps to uh, address the fact that Canadians don't feel they're getting ahead. We saw in our poll that uh, affordability and cost of living was the second uh, you know, biggest issue behind health care. Health care is always a difficult one because I think that uh, all Canadians always pick health care as the number one issue, but they don't have a lot of confidence in the ability of any of the parties to address that. And so you've seen all of the parties, uh, and particularly the Conservatives and Liberals, have pushed uh, an affordability or making your life better sort of message uh, in the policies they've announced. The other point I would make is that climate change, uh, for the first time that I recall, is, is really up there. It's at 25% nationally as, as a top issue. It's third place. And uh, the economy is, you know, at 22%. So Canadians are thinking about climate change in a way during this election that maybe we haven't seen in the past. And it will be interesting to see what the parties do to respond to, to that desire for some climate change action. Now, how does immigration uh, uh, sort of pan out? I, I'm looking at some numbers here. Best party to handle immigration, Conservatives, 42%, Liberals, 16 NDP, 9 And then the uh, People's Party of Canada. So the People's Party of Canada is ranked higher than the NDP and only five points behind the Liberals on the issue of immigration. What does that speak to you? Well, I think immigration is an issue Canadians are thinking about, given the uh, the past couple of years with what's happened in the States and uh, a lot of the asylum seekers. Uh, our data suggests that Canadians remain tolerant and open and, and, and accepting of immigration and asylum seekers. But there is a space for a debate around how that works and whether or not uh, our system needs to you know, address the fact that uh, we're a very welcoming country and, and some Canadians do feel that uh, maybe we should be tightening that up. But, you know, our, uh, our global CEO, Daryl Bricker, has written a book about population decline, uh, which you may have heard of. Uh, and, and certainly Canada does have a need, as, as all countries do, for more immigration. And so the question really I think the Canadians are thinking about is what is the best party or the best way uh, to address that need in, in a way that is fair to Canadians and, and those who want to uh, join us in mm -hmm. our country. Would I be uh, maybe reasonably correct, assuming that as we get to the nitty and the gritty in the last days of the election, assuming there are no more explosive moments like the ones we've experienced over the last several days, that it will come back, slide back to the to the economy as being the issue that people focus on? Well, you make a good point, Roy, that we're early in the campaign and, and the revelations around Mr. Trudeau came earlier uh, rather than later. And so there is time for a lot more to come out in the campaign and we could have more explosive moments. But certainly our numbers suggest that the thing that Canadians are concerned about going into this campaign uh, is the economy and uh, affordability and how each of the parties is going to address the fact that they don't feel like they're getting ahead. And, and to me, that remains the crux of the campaign, despite all of the other uh, things that have come out. 
And so if, you know, assuming that nothing else explosive comes out, and, and that's a dangerous assumption to make because campaigns matter and, and they do move voters, uh, we might see a return to some of the issues okay. and, and a real scrutiny on what the parties are doing. Gregory, thank you much for the time. Really appreciate it. Good talking to you. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Gregory Jack, Vice President, Public Affairs uh, Canada and uh, Vice President, of course, of Ipsos. Uh, Health groups in this country are calling for immediate restrictions on advertising for vaping products, and that includes the Canadian Medical Association. The CMA is also sending notice to federal political parties that health is the ballot box issue in 2019. Dr. Sandy Buckman joins us, president of the Canadian Medical Association. Dr. Buckman, thank you very much for the time, and uh, this vaping issue is of great concern. We have uh, a number of deaths among uh, young people in, in the United States, uh, very serious uh, illness in, in London, Ontario. Uh, speak to that, please. We have. A, a, let me just add this. One-fifth of high school students are vaping, and one-seventh of children 13 to 14 in this country. Go ahead, doctor. Yeah, well, good afternoon, and uh, thanks very much for uh, having me to talk about the uh, health risks associated with vaping. Yeah, at the uh, CMA, uh, along with uh, several other national Canadian health organizations, we've been um, advocating uh, Health Canada and the federal government to um, to begin to put restrictions uh, and actually prohibit and ban marketing and promotion to young people uh, because of the reason you just cited. Uh, there are huge numbers of young people, some, uh, again, as young as 13 or 14, who have started vaping, and the rates are just skyrocketing. And uh, vaping, uh, vaping can be a gateway to uh, cigarette smoking for sure. Uh, it is addictive, and it has several other uh, serious health effects, um, such as uh, impairment of uh, young brain development, adverse pregnancy outcomes. Um, we're seeing long-term risks for cardiovascular diseases and other lung diseases, and even some biological changes associated with cancer development. All are linked now to vaping now. That doesn't prove things yet, but there is enough red flags there that uh, give us great cause for concern. And, of course, uh, the major uh, major threat now uh, appears to be these acute respiratory conditions that are causing, uh, you know, many people to be hospitalized in intensive care, such as that young man in London, Ontario, who fortunately mm-hmm. survived and is now home. But uh, clearly there's a, there's a link. Um, and as well, as you mentioned, some deaths. So... We're very concerned. And there's stupefying amounts of nicotine involved. It's incredible, actually, that there's no regulation that is uh, on nicotine. You know, in many countries around the world, such as in the European Union, they are limiting the uh, vaping cartridges to having about 20 milligrams per mil, and that's about a 2% concentration. Well, we are seeing upwards of uh, close to 60, even up to 66%, uh, 66 milligrams per mil. And uh, that's uh, also of uh, great concern because that's, uh, you know, that's a real hit of nicotine. And uh, again, uh, it leads to greater risk of addiction. Uh, Dr. Buckman, I was looking at your Twitter feed just before we went on the Mm -hmm. air. And uh, I I thought the number of Canadians uh, lacking an immediate health care provider at the most basic level, family doctor, was four million. You tweet it's five million now. We're, yeah, we're backsliding. Sitting, 
we are backsliding a lot, and that's why we feel, again, that the healthcare system uh, right now is in crisis, and these things need to be addressed by uh, by our, uh, our our federal uh, federal politicians and members of parliament. You know, it's it's always during an election that really they're listening to us, and so that's why we're taking the opportunity to uh, to get health back on the agenda. Um, are, we're listening to Canadians, and several of our survey, surveys over the last year have shown that Canadians will vote for the party uh, that has health on the agenda. And more than 60, 60% of Canadians have said that, that that's their number one priority. It's interesting The political parties always talk a good game about health care during election campaigns. And then when the next election campaign rolls around, we find that we've, we've done some backsliding again, and we need more input and, and better management of health care. And, and things just continue to get worse. I think the wrong people are in charge. You know, um, you know how much we push and we push and we push again. You know, uh, not only do Canadians not have access to, to uh, family physicians right now, um, there's really difficult, poor access to youth uh, mental health and addiction services. Yep. Um, there, for seniors, seniors have incredibly difficult access to get in. There's mobility challenges. There's expense to get in to see the doctor or go to a hospital, parking, traffic. Um, way more difficult for people in rural and remote Canada. Um, we're seeing, uh, we can, we're, we're also advocating for virtual care. Can you imagine how, how patient-centered it would be if you could contact your doctor um, over your phone? Uh, I'm kind of referring to the Amazon Amazonization of of care. I can do all my my uh, I can get all my data and do all my banking on my phone. Why couldn't you be able to access your doctor? In uh, some of the health maintenance organizations in the U.S., over 53 percent of their care is now virtual, and in Canada, it's less than one yeah. percent. And for rural, remote, and the and homebound. Imagine how advantageous that could be. It's yeah. not that hard to do. Dr. Buckman, uh, thank you very much for the time today. I'd like to have a longer conversation with you about this. Yes. All right. Thank you very can, much. Can we, can, we, uh, can, can we arrange that with you, say, over the next couple of weeks before the vote to have you back on and, and have a longer conversation? Yes, I wouldn't mind. That would be, that would be quite good. Yeah, All right. this is uh, lots of detail in this. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today. Bye-bye Do- now. Dr. Sandy Buckman, the president of the Canadian Medical Association. So, federal election issues, uh, Justin Trudeau in his blackface and brownface, what does it really mean, and how could all of this potentially change perceptions of Trudeau and voting patterns? Uh, There was Jagmeet Singh's excellent performance during the election. I think he's done extremely well. There were low expectations for the federal NDP leader, but he's done very well. Um, and then he spoke so eloquently. After uh, Trudeau's, uh, the revelations about Trudeau, we may have time to play uh, play that again before the end of the show. And then there's the political and media spin, and we're joined by Michael Taub, columnist for Troy Media, political commentator. He was a speechwriter for uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. I, I really enjoyed, uh, Michael, I really enjoyed your column, Shear's take on apologies, was spun out of context. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. It's the first time you and I are talking. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We, we've both been doing this a long time, Roy, and surprisingly, I looked it up myself, we've never appeared on TV, we've never appeared on radio together, but at least we're starting today, which is good. It, it is great, and I think it's, uh, it's Mike Sloan in, in London who's dying of cancer and has, is such a brave guy and, 
and uh, and and was on the air last weekend. And you follow him, I follow him. I think he's the who's the catalyst for us getting together. Yes, in many ways, I think you're right. Now, Mike is really, uh, I wrote about him a few months ago, and um, it's really been very inspirational to listen to him with the tragedy that he has yes. in this terrible grade of cancer, which is taking his life. He has kept such a positive outlook on things with mixing it with humor, a bit of philosophy, and he's really handled this in a way that I think many of us would hope when our time comes, we'll do the same thing. Although, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of us would. No, I don't think so. I think Mike's, Mike's really unusual and exceptional, and he's, he's helping a lot, a lot of people who've had either direct or indirect uh, uh, relationship or an experience with cancer. Let's uh, let's get to the issue at hand, and uh, let's start with the, well, we're halfway through the federal election. We're a month away, exactly from the vote, 21st yeah. of October. So the biggest development is the one that uh, caught so many people by surprise, and that's the one about Justin Trudeau and blackface and brownface. So what's Michael Taub's immediate takeaway? <laughs> well, Michael Taub's immediate takeaway is that it changed the whole complexity of the election, which, again, is not surprising. You know, you, I, and others have said that all week, but... It changed everything from what was really a extremely close election, or what looked like might potentially be the closest election in our history, and has moved all the way into something which is kind of astonishing, which is that the liberals are now in a period of freefall. And again, it's all self-created, I think it's fair to say. You know, unfortunately, Justin Trudeau has just sort of left himself open to a lot of these different things by the actions that he took many, many years ago. You know, this, ha- this happened over 20 years ago. He finally got caught in, in a ways that we, I guess we're just not completely sure about how it exactly happened or how it all sort of transpired, how that material got to Time magazine. But irrespective of that, he now had to basically discuss the issue of a brown, uh, an appearance in brownface, you know, during a play about, you know, looking at Arabian Nights or an Arabian Nights-themed party in 2001 embarrassed, you know, displeased, claimed he was pissed off a few times, etc. And then during the presser, as we know, he then suddenly revealed, which I don't think a lot of people knew as well, is that he had done it before with an appearance in blackface, which had previously happened in high school when he was singing the Deo, the Banana Boat song, uh, during a high school play. So eventually that was dug out. But then I think where the real key here is, Roy, and this goes to Justin Trudeau's credibility more than anything else, he basically said, or alluded to the fact that those were really the only two incidents. He didn't say that with a strong position, and he didn't firmly say it, but that's what he was kind of alluding to. And then, as you said right off the top, Mercedes Stevenson in Global News found this third instance, which he claims he completely forgot about. Now, really, Roy, and I find this very hard to believe, I don't see how anyone could forget something like that when you have to actually sit down and start to think about things, including what have I done to potentially embarrass myself, embarrass the party, and destroy my political campaign? If you sat down long enough and you really racked your brain, I think you would have come up with that third instance, or at least I'd be pretty shocked if you didn't. So I think now a lot of people are realizing what I think a lot of conservative and some independents and some disgruntled Canadians have realized for the past few years that Justin Trudeau is not what he claims to be, and that his credibility and that his honesty and that his integrity have come into very, very high dispute. You know, uh, when he talks about having forgotten, 
It made me immediately think of the encounter with the young reporter, the young female recorder, reporter in British Columbia. Yes. Where he said, uh, I was having, I'm paraphrasing, I was having a wonderful day, and I don't remember any negative interactions. Yes. First of all, no one speaks that way. No. I don't remember any negative interactions. We also then hear from the reporter, at least at the time, that he'd apologized to her. So he forgot that. And then in, with the, in the exchange with the, with the media on Thursday, he was asked about why he hadn't reported this or hadn't brought it up with the Liberal Party while he was being vetted right. for, uh, for his uh, candidacy in the writing of Papineau in, in Montreal. And he said, well, it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And he'd forgotten about it. So it's one or the other, Michael. It's not both. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. And sure, I think it's fair to say, Roy, that it was embarrassing for him. But it was embarrassing in a number of different ways. It's embarrassing because he probably didn't think that there were any repercussions when he initially did it. Even though he is the scion of a late prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, he was someone whose pathway or career path could have been defined by politics. You know, maybe Justin Trudeau would have become prime minister, would, maybe he wouldn't have, but that was, the, that was the path, the glory that he had right in front of him. The fact that he would not realize this and do this not once, not twice, but three times, or at least three times that we know of, and then allude to the fact that, you know, he's not actually sure now if there aren't more, this really speaks to his character. And... I know that people, some people will be listening and say, well, this is Har-, you know, Stephen Harper's former speechwriter. He's a political conservative. He's been doing this a long time. He's never had a nice word to say about Justin Trudeau. What else is new? But put that aside. Put the ideological leanings aside. If this had happened to a conservative leader, be it my old friend and boss Harper, Andrew Scheer, Brian Mulroney, Joe Clark, we can keep going past, their careers would have been destroyed. If it had happened to a liberal prime minister, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin, Pierre Elliott Trudeau even, their careers most likely would have been destroyed. And the same goes for all these other parties. The fact that Justin Trudeau doesn't want to resign and doesn't want to leave politics, I think most of us can understand that whether we have or haven't worked in the political arena. It's in his blood, he wants to say and he wants to finish his job. That's fine. But the fact is that his standing domestically and internationally, Roy, has been utterly destroyed, and for good, no matter what happens next month. You know, I wrote a piece for the Daily Telegraph in the U.K., an op-ed about this, and one of the things I alluded to is how can, for example, East Asian and African countries actually deal with this man on the international stage for anything? Because in the back of their minds, because this has been getting an enormous amount of international coverage. They'll know what he did. Mm-hmm. They'll realize that he apologized. But can they trust him? And if you can't trust a national leader, if you can't trust a sitting prime minister of a country like Canada, yes, a middle power, but we do play a role internationally that is well-respected, then how in God's name can people actually go to the voting booth you know, without a pained look and vote for this man. It's a democracy. They'll do what they, as they wish, of course, and the voters are always right. But they have to seriously think about this. I'm not suggesting that you all have to go out and vote for Andrew Scheer and the Tories. That would be nice, but I don't assume that's going to happen. 
but you have to look at the issue realistically and realize that what has happened here is a national embarrassment to Canada, not just to Justin Trudeau, to all of us, because he is our leader, he is our prime minister, he is supposed to be Canada's representative, and he is dragging us through the mud day in and day out. Michael, hard to believe. I'm going to take a break here, but just before I do that, I'll add these words. This follows so hard on the heels of the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin scandal. Yes. And the RCMP, in fact, having spoken with Ms. Wilson-Raybould yes. just two weeks ago. That's right. And the Prime Minister being the one who has the option to lift the the cabinet confidentiality and allow her to speak. He's the one who can do it. So it follows hard on the heels on, on that, and it follows pretty hard on the heels of the terrible things they did to Admiral Mark Norman. And yep. uh, and all of this, it, it, it's, it, it all lines up in a row, and it's not good for Justin Trudeau, and it's not good for this country. Please hold on. We'll come back with Michael Taub. We'll talk some more with Michael about this issue and... Uh, and about his column, uh, the most recent one he wrote, columnist with Troy Media, political commentator, obviously, and a speechwriter for Stephen Harper, at Michael Taub, T-A-U-B-E, on Twitter. Back to Michael Taub and the issue at hand that Canadians are talking about, and that is Mr. Trudeau. Michael, when we went into this, uh, into this election, yep. we knew there was going to be something. There was always, there's always something that creates a major stir. Right. I don't think anybody could have predicted this. But what's been happening leading up to this is particularly interesting and that is and you uh, and you wrote about it in in your column Shears take on apologies was spun out of context. Yes. Remind us how this all fits into the picture. Sure. I mean it's a separate issue but it is tied in to some degree. Absolutely. And this sort of refers back to um Go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. You were hearing something else, weren't you? Yeah, I was, yeah. actually. Okay. No problem. I was hearing you, which was just kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'll be quick. Basically, Andrew Scheer, the, the leader of the Tories, um, was recently on a plane, as we know, just before the whole brownface, blackface controversy broke. And one of the things that was actually discussed with him, as people now may remember, although it's been a while when you sort of think about it, is he was questioned about all the different Tory candidates who had either apologized or had, uh, you know, sort of had to walk back some comments that they had made either publicly or on social media from things such as abortion, gay marriage, etc. And Andrew Scheer basically was asked, you know, how do you handle things like why are you accepting their apologies so readily? Aren't you, you know, didn't you say in the past that you would admonish people who did it or remove candidates who made controversial remarks? And very quickly, there was a 20-second, 27-second video clip that ran around that reporters and most radio, TV, and social media caught on, of which Shear said, and this is just part of it, as long as someone takes responsibility for what they said and addresses the fact that in 2019 some things that may have been said in the past are inappropriate today, that if anything that they've ever said in the past caused any type of hurt or disrespect to one community or another and have apologized for that, I accept that. Now, at the time, Roy, uh, Andrew Scheer was hammered quite badly because people thought that was not the right way to handle things. You know, that's just readily accepting apologies, you know, that's basically accepting them carte blanche, that he gave no opt-out, no options, no differences, etc. And that was basically an issue, as it turned out, of what we would call media spin. So, or, or sorry, a political spin, my apologies. Political spin, basically, which is where the politician 
uses a controversy, or sometimes it can be a good thing, and tries to spin or shift it in a different direction to change the narrative back to his, her, or their advantage. But this is the thing, and I think this is what's important about it. As my column stated, I didn't believe that was actually the whole thing. I just, again, maybe it was all the years of politics and the media I've had. It was something, something just dawned on me that this doesn't sound right. This is almost too black and white in the way it is. It's almost too firm. He must have allowed himself some sort of an opt-out clause or something different, and he did. And ironically enough, it was mentioned in an online piece by uh, CBC's Katie Simpson, one of their reporters, and this is, Mr. Shear, the part that no, or very few people probably saw in that video clip that was circulating. The apology acceptance plan is not a blanket policy, though. So he said, obviously it depends on other aspects, including context. My point was, in the case of the candidates we've had issues with this week, people have right away expressed regret and taken responsibility. And that is basically a form of media spin to counter the political spin. What the media did was they took the buzz clip or the clip that they liked, what they thought would be hot. And Michael, I have, I have 20 seconds left. Sure, no problem. And basically the whole thing was that they cut out the most important part, which was that Andrew Scheer basically said that, no, there is a way out, there is an opt-out clause, I'm not going to just accept apologies carte blanche. That is a big difference between political spin and media spin. The interesting thing is it happened in the same issue. So great to talk to you. Thank you so much. The first time, I hope it's the first time of many. I hope so as well. Thank you very much. Thanks. Michael Taub, it's Mike, at Michael Taub on, uh, on Twitter, and he's a columnist with the Troy Media, political commentator, obviously. Also was a speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Can't believe it's the first time we've talked to him. Richard Levick is the chairman and CEO of Levick, representing countries and major corporations in the highest stakes global communications matters from the Wall Street crisis to the Gulf oil spill to Guantanamo Bay and the Catholic Church. Mr. Levick has multiple times been named to the 100 most influential people in the boardroom. He's the author of several books, including The Communicators, Leadership in the Age of Crisis. Richard Levick sits on the World Economic Forum's Partnering Against Corruption Initiative. He is, in uh, layman's terminology, a crisis manager. Is that fair, Richard? Roy, it's very kind of you. Thank you for the introduction, and we'll start with yes, that's very fair. Okay. What is your immediate reaction, personally and then professionally, to the news about well, Justin Trudeau? I, I think that, prof let's start with professionally. I, I think that he can certainly survive this, uh, but he's going to have to learn how to count. Um, and that is a challenge. Some of these uh, occurrences go back to high school, so it's hard for him to remember how many times. And since he was already definitive once, saying twice, and then it turned out that he was uh, inaccurate. He broke a cardinal rule, which is to never get out over your skis. If you don't have the proper information, then don't guess. And he did. And now not only is his, uh, his are his decisions being questioned, but also his credibility. He said at the exchange with National Journalist that he hadn't mentioned the issue or his, his participation in brownface and blackface because he was embarrassed. Then he said he hadn't mentioned it because he'd for forgotten. And so my immediate response, as I'm staring at my laptop screen, is, well, which is it? You, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine 
after what happened in Virginia, it was uh, about 800 miles uh, south, where you have the governor of Virginia, Ralph Notham, a Democrat, uh, war veteran, uh, and then pictures come out from his medical school yearbook, uh, and he's almost forced to resign. And as a result, a lot of contemporary politicians had to look back in their past. I think that's the demarcation that if he was concerned about it, that was the time, and he could have come forward at that point and said, I was younger, I made a mistake. In this age of full transparency, hoping that someone would never find it, particularly with sophisticated opposition research, really is the triumph of hope over experience. So what would your advice be to Mr. Trudeau now? Because we've just heard from two former members of the Liberal Party, two former members of Parliament, that uh, their sense is, sense is there's more to come. Well, if there's more to come, there's, there's a real challenge. I do think that his apology was sincere. He took a lot of questions. He spent a lot of time. He gets points for that. Anyone who has ever sincerely apologized, and unfortunately it doesn't include all of us, but we're all supposed to have that skill, knows how hard and courageous it is to come forward, to take those questions. He showed that he was a, a man among the people, going out into the streets, shaking hands, so he, he does score uh, a lot of positive points for that. He showed that he wasn't afraid. But, the, the, you know, he, what, he, what he just said about I don't know how many times, that's what he should have said first. And I think the other lesson from Ralph Notham is, and for those who don't follow you know, American politics, and I happen to live in the shadow of Virginia here in Washington, D.C., uh, and, and know Ralph uh, for a number of years, that you could see what ha the worst part of the crisis was how unprepared the governor was in that he didn't know his history and he was constantly surprised that was the time again a year year and a half ago for uh, for politicians to get their facts straight, decide if they're going to come forward and be transparent. The fact that he's so caught unawares is deeply disappointing. When Mr. Trudeau said during his exchange with reporters that, uh, and he was asked why he hadn't brought this up in 2008, why when he was being vetted by the Liberal Party, he hadn't mentioned this, he hadn't brought it up. He said he was embarrassed. And then he said he didn't remember. Again, I go back to my point. That doesn't sound, it doesn't sound believable to me. Uh, and I'm a great critic of Mr. Trudeau, but I'll also give him credit if he does something correctly. Uh, and in, in this instance, it's just, it's too vague. And the question that I want answered, uh, Richard, is based on everything that's happened, the fact that he will not say whether there were more incidents than three. And believe me, I, if, this, if I had incidents like this in my past, I'd know how many there were. Um, but I want to know whether 2001 was the last one, whether the third one we found out about through Global News, whether that's the last one. If you're not going to tell me whether you, there's, there are more than three, then at least let me know if that was the last one or if there have been any since. 
he may not know. He, he says he sincerely may not know, which I'm not sure if that's helpful or more troubling for him. Uh, you know, I, I would say this. It is not something that I would ever do. And, Roy, it sounds like something that you would never have done, the very fact that you would uh, have remembered it. But we are now in an age when people go all the way back. And one of the photos, of course, is when he is in high school at a talent show. It has probably been decades since he's looked at his high school yearbook. But, you know, the, the question is, well, I think the critical questions are the one you asked, uh, asked initially, which is, why did he not come forward with it at some point during the vetting, when, when you've got uh, it happening significantly in the United States, when it first comes forward, why is he not prepared? I think the other, though, the other issue that is uh, somewhat I think, critically challenging for politicians is that we have a constantly evolving standard. And this is an apology to no one. It is simply to say that we continually evolve uh, in terms of what is acceptable. Behavior 35 years ago for Ralph Notham was not thought of as racist. It clearly is today. And one of the things that we have to be very clear about is that we have evolving standards. The biggest challenge, I think, for Justin Trudeau is he was 29 years old. It's 2001. He's an adult. By that point, that one incident is the more the most troubling of the three. Well, he's also been accused of uh, sexually uh, harassing a young woman reporter uh, right about that time. I think a year earlier. And uh, when that story broke, it it was uh, written about when it happened, right after it happened. But he said he also remembered no negative interactions. That's just too clever by half as far as word selection is concerned for me, Richard. And uh, just a few weeks ago, the Parliamentary Ethics Commissioner found him in violation of, uh, of, of parliamentary ethics. None of this helps, Mr. Trudeau. But you, you, you think that uh, given what's gone on and how he's handled the first few days, uh, he can survive this until and beyond the 21st of October. I think he can. You know, you're first of all, you're blessed in Canada with a five and a half to six week election cycle. <laughs> Aren't we though? You are. And you know, in the United States it is election cycles are at minimum two years. And as soon as the midterm elections end two weeks later the presidential uh, election begins and they have all been monetized. So the television and radio know that running the ads or running the uh, running the coverage is really helpful for them. Uh, and I think so. So you're, you know, you're you're blessed by that. But there's also a challenge. You know, we you know we look to Canada for a. It's uh, we look at it as a progressive model, uh, as a democratic ideal. And but you know now you're having to take a hard look. He, uh, uh, Justin Trudeau is no longer the dreamboat of the left, as Rolling Stone had positioned him a couple of years ago. But Parliament also is something that doesn't, it does, does not reflect the diversity of the country. So these are really larger questions. And I think one of the things that critics have to be careful of here is how much do they want to criticize a young Justin Trudeau for doing foolish and stupid things and then suffering amnesia, but also with uh, using it as an excuse not to look at their own day-to-day -day behavior. 
behavior. So it's, it, you know, as Rodney King said from the L.A. riots two decades ago, why can't we all just get along? And it's important for all of us to look at our behavior. Well, if Mr. Trudeau had been honest at the very beginning, and clearly he thought about uh, during the vetting period, talking about it, because he, he said he hadn't because he was embarrassed. So the option was before him, and he didn't do it. But let me ask you one last question. What must he absolutely avoid in the next four weeks? That's assuming uh, there isn't another incident that we're going to hear about. Well, the choice in politics is always about the options that your voters have. Really, which direction can uh, the voters go. And if they feel that they have no choice, then he will survive it more easily. Uh, you know, if you look at the United States and Donald Trump, one would have thought by conventional political understandings and uh, norms that he never would have survived the campaign. And now there's talk about the possibility of him winning a second term. So I think he can, it's, it's a matter of where uh, the voters feel comfortable going. I know that you're NDP candidate was uh, extremely articulate and empathetic, uh, and if he can use this, I'm now talking about uh, Mr. Singh, if he can use that uh, effectively, he may cut into uh, Mr. Trudeau's base. Richard Levick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the program. Thank you so much. All the very best. Richard Levick, Chairman and CEO of Levick. When we come back, we're going to play a little bit of uh, Jagmeet Singh's response reaction to Mr. Trudeau. It really was uh, quite amazing. Just the words were absolutely perfect. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 